You're listening to the Future Tech Health Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Until I reached age 40, I never realized the obvious, that we all have medical issues, or we at least have a family member or close relation that had, has, or will have them in the future. Medicine and biological systems are the final frontier. Until we've conquered death, figured out how life began, cured cancer, and understood our purpose in the universe, there's a heck of a lot to talk about when it comes to our health. Future Tech Health means I'll be covering futuristic topics that are actually already in clinical trials or even starting to appear on shelves or by prescription or available for your own use. We dive deep into stem cells, CRISPR-Cas9, the science of sleep, epigenetics, medical testing, cancer, ketogenic diets, stem cells, aging, regenerative medicine, and more. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a serious medical problem. Remember, however, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoy the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and share it with friends. Thank you. Hello, this is uh, Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech and Future Tech Health podcast, and I have uh, Fatima Azahra. Um, she uh, she's recently uh, formed a startup that uh, uses some of the research that she was involved in uh, in bacterial communication. Uh, it's a pre-diagnose is the name of it. So we're going to be talking about uh, you know bacterial communication and her startup and everything else. So Fatima, thanks for coming. How are you doing? How are you doing? Thanks, Richard. Yeah. So tell me, um, what was your work like uh, you know, when you were in the research area? And, you know, what, why did you focus on bacteria? Let's start with that. Um, I heard once I started uh, at the university that bacteria talk together. And I thought it was extremely fascinating that they had this language that they could use to, to coordinate their activities. So I was still a very young bachelor student. And I thought maybe I could use it for something sometime when I have learned enough to to make to make my own uh, research subjects so it stick mm. with me. It, it 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 just it was so interesting that i i kept thinking about it throughout the years and then i thought why not try to detect these molecules these communication molecules that bacteria use to talk to each other uh, to to make diagnostic tools to to diagnose infections early and that's how okay. it started. Very, very interesting. Um, so, in general, what do you believe that bacteria? Um, I mean, I guess a, a simple word is to call them smart. I mean, uh, how sophisticated do they appear to be now that you've studied how they communicate? It, it it's really interesting that they can that they they seem smart. I don't think they have they are conscious or anything, but it's. It's um, the way they coordinate their their activities that make them smart and make their world a bit parallel to the human world. So, mm. so the, the the idea that some of the activities they they have it's kind of it can we can draw parallels to to the human world. That's that's the smart thing about it. So what's an example of how bacteria would communicate? What would happen like? Uh... A bunch of bacteria would be exposed to some kind of uh, environmental stress, and they would communicate about the stress. Like, you know, what's an example? 
So sometimes they it could be external factors that make them that make them coordinate their activities. But for example, um, they they all need to produce some some common goods for the society, so they all survive. That's that's the the main thing about the collective behavior. So they don't they don't exhibit individual uh, behavior because that that will not really benefit them. But when they do it all together. That will benefit the whole community and that will make them survive as a community um and and if we draw parallels to the human world then it it's actually just like how we build our society if we live alone we will not really be able to do anything but if we help each other some of, of us are doctors some of us are teachers uh we we just we build a community that can make the whole society uh thrive Well, for bacteria, um, what about experiments with uh, <clears throat> a single bacteria in a culture medium that's exposed to uh, an environmental stress? I would think that the bacteria do want to preserve themselves individually and not just die and give up. You know, I thought that uh, you know they evolve and respond to threats and rearrange their genes and do all kinds of stuff to uh, you know at least keep homeostasis, if not uh, try to preserve themselves from dying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they. Is that they, what you've observed? Yeah, they they can have a lot of strategies. It really depends on which bacteria we're talking about. But um, yeah, sometimes they f- they form biofilms and then they can hide inside this biofilm and avoid being uh, exposed to this external stress from the surroundings. And th- there are many strategies they they have. So you know, in order to have a strategy, I mean, wouldn't a bacteria have to be self-aware and then even to communicate? Wouldn't it be, you know, it's itself is communicating with something that is not self with another bacteria? Wouldn't that signal some kind of, you know, awareness or, or intelligence? Yeah, able I, to do that. I wouldn't say that at all because, from a bi- biological perspective, it's more 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 about chemistry. So they they uh, release some molecules that other uh, bacteria have a receptor uh, to receive and. Uh, like convert to another signal that they know how to respond to, to respond to. So, so it's, it's not self-awareness in that sense that we understand from humans where we really reflect about our decisions. Uh, it's, it's a really a chemical process, biochemical process that is going on with these creature creatures. But I don't know if, I don't know in hundred years, maybe someone will come up and say they are conscious. I don't know. Mm. So what are what are some examples of the communication that goes on that you've observed? You know, any specific examples? Uh, something I worked a lot with is uh, their expression of virulence factors, so factors that will harm the human body and maybe also harm other kind of bacteria or other other families of bacteria. So they could the the bacteria I was looking at could survive and dominate the culture they were in and. Uh, They do this by exactly releasing these communication molecules that will tell the other bacteria that they are enough to secrete a toxin that is toxic to the human body, but also toxic to other species. So, you know, I've heard of like quorum sensing bacteria will sometimes not engage in a behavior until there's quote unquote enough of them. And they exactly. are sending that's out it. signals. Yes. You know, so can you talk about that? Yes, that that is exactly quorum sensing. So they they release some molecules 
and uh, they all understand that they may they use them to understand the density how how many bacteria are they right now in this particular situation and based on that they can all secrete uh, a, a molecule at the same as the same molecule at the same time so in this way they can synchronize their behavior okay um so what what kind of forms of communication are they uh, you know like Again, one one form of communication, I guess, is identifying or putting out chemicals that only that particular strain will be able to note came from another one of that strain. Of the yes, same so strain. they they could have a global language. They could also have a language that is only understood by the specific uh, species. So they uh, they use that to to coordinate what kind of molecules they should secrete in response to that. Okay. Um, do you see that bacteria are communicating with other strains, or is it mostly with their strain? You know, how do they interact? With they the, could with do it across. There is there is something called the cross uh, kingdom. Uh, not, not yeah, it's it's yeah. So they they release their the molecules across uh, the their own species, so other other species understand them, and then they have the secret language where it's only the uh, the species the species themselves that understand what is going on and how they should respond to it. Oh, so, all right. So they'll uh, communicate in different ways. Yes. In one way with their own strain and then uh, in different ways with other strains. Yes. How many um, different strains can a particular bacteria talk to? Has anyone tried to look at that and see if they can communicate with dozens or hundreds of other kinds of strains or is it limited to a few very closely related ones? It, uh, I mean, the, there's something called a quorum sensing systems and something called the, the quorum sensing regulated uh, molecules. And uh, it, it really depends. And we haven't even uh, discovered everything that is released out there. But what I have been working on specifically is to detect these molecules. So I have developed uh, sensors to detect these particular molecules and try to see if we can use them to understand something about uh, the colonization or the infection. So what, what size are uh, the typical bacteria you've looked at? And then what size are the uh, chemical messengers they send? Do they just send out, you know, naked chemical messengers or do they in, like enclosed in a vesicle, you know, with a membrane and, you know, they're absorbed into the, the receiving bacteria? Like how does this communication look? Um, I've only looked at the extracellular molecules, so it's uh, molecules. I don't look at sizes at all. I look at uh, at concentrations. So I I try to understand what is the concentration that they secrete of a particular uh, molecule. Well, I mean, uh, you know, we can observe, you know, some bacteria at least under a uh, you know a microscope. Um, so I just wonder if their communication can be seen under a microscope or if it's so much smaller. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's much smaller. Stuff. I think it's much smaller. But some some of the behavior they they uh, they exhibit it it could also be seen with the bare eyes. So, if, for example, one of the molecules they secrete it turns the whole culture green, uh, and that is something you can just see, and it happens instantly. Huh. So it's really fun. Sometimes you're in the lab and then you see a culture just turn turn green after uh, a specific period of time. Okay. So what what have you been able to figure out by the uh, the density of the uh, the molecules that are being put out bacteria? Is there 
is there a lot of crosstalk or is it, uh, do things go quiet for a while and then, you know, there's talk or they're constantly talking to each other or signaling each other? Yeah, so so according to theory, uh, they should constantly be secreting these molecules. And then if the if the um, the environment they are in, it's just a lot and the, the molecules just flow away, then then the other bacteria will not really sense it. And this quorum sensing regulated behavior will not appear. But if the if the solution is dense with these molecules, these quorum sensing molecules, then it will allow the quorum sensing regulated behavior to to um, to be activated. Have you tried to take, um, let's say you have like a certain strain, and you take some of the fluid that they're they're swimming in into mm-hmm. a little pipette, and then pipette that into uh, you know the fluid that the same strain is living in in another dish. So you artificially increase yes. the concentration, or maybe change the concentration. Have you tried to do that and see what their behavior? Yes, their and that, that yes, I've done that, and actually many others have also tried to do that, and it really depends on which what time you took this uh, this uh, solution um, to, to the further experiments. So sometimes they are just oversaturated with molecules, and that means that they they stop producing something. The new cells stop producing something themselves because they think, or they don't think, but they sense that there is enough. Uh, and mm. sometimes it's just not saturated enough and then they still start producing it. So it really depends on the setup and the parameters you're you're starting the experiment on. But, well, sure, uh, but what, what, kind of, uh, what kind of behaviors have you been able to modulate by doing that? Um, I've seen that we can actually saturate the the culture by taking a culture that a supernatant that is full of these quorum sensing molecules and then saturate it to a, to a sense that the bacteria stop secreting some new molecules themselves. And that and that could be beneficial. Uh, for example, if you want to confuse the bacteria, if you want to to somehow manipulate them to think or to sense that they they don't need to produce any more virulence factors. But that's a whole other subject. And actually a lot of people, or not a lot, but but many competent people are just focusing on that, how to use quorum sensing as an alternative to antibiotics. So by confusing the bacteria, by stopping their communication, they can stop the whole infection to proceed. Oh, so I guess one way would be to convince the bacteria way early on that there's enough for them to mount an attack so that they're much more likely to be defeated. And I guess another way would be to, um, there are a ton of them, to block their communication somehow so that they stop attacking and they sit there and then get get picked off by the body's immune system. Exactly. So they, if they get blinded, or if they get, if if they if they can't see that there are other molecules or other other microorganisms. Uh, nearby that can help them in this community they are in, then they just stop or they get confused. They don't know what to do because they don't have this network that they are in. So that's another way. And it's actually a a lot of research is going on right now where they try to uh, use that uh, to to just just to, uh, to, to as an alternative to antibiotics, because, yeah, we're running out of of good antibiotics in the future. Do you see that bacteria communicate cross-strain, or do they only really work with their own strain? 
it again it really depends on the setup and it depends on the uh, depends on the strains themselves um sometimes the strains they differ from lab to another even if it's the same species um and the same even the same strain type so it's it it really depends there's a lot of research showing that sometimes they they fight together sometimes they cooperate it's it's a lot and it's actually really fun to see how they behave the different strains right but sometimes they do cooperate with other bacteria that are not of their same strain and sometimes they don't sometimes they fight them yeah definitely sometimes they cooperate and that works just fine and sometimes they need to dominate and then they outcompete the other other uh, species so maybe another idea would be if you know if someone has a bacterial infection if you put uh, bacteria that they would normally fight with you know into the recipient so that they their attention is diverted from attacking the host to fighting with the other bacteria maybe they would you know knock each other out and then not bother you yes and not bother the host yes exactly so tricking the bacteria into some sort of behavior that is beneficial for human beings is also uh, very popular right now to look into are there um hibernation states or you know lower high energy use states that bacteria can exist in and maybe that can be triggered you know when the uh, when someone's infected by a bacteria, they could be, again, like you said, tricked into going into a uh, hibernation type state or a non-active state. Um, that is really that's really dif- difficult to answer because it's it, it depends on what bacteria we're talking about. But so, some bacteria. Well, sure, it, it, it all depends. I know, but you know, again, have we seen this in any you know in any bacteria that you've looked at or you've seen in the literature? I I haven't worked with that uh, at all, actually. Okay. All right. So what is the, uh, what's the focus of pre-diagnose your startup? What are you looking at and what do you, what's the technology about? Um, the technology is about uh, creating sensors that can um, measure these communication molecules and the, com- and the quorum sensing regulated molecules uh, to, to understand how bacteria behave in, during infections and during colonizations um, and see if we can use that to first of all create early uh, diagnosis of uh, of infections, but also to 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 foresee how the infection is going to develop. So this is this is the core of the, of what we're trying to do here. Oh, so what's what's the normal process as you understand it of bacterial infection? You know, what what kind of things have you observed happening? What are the steps, for instance? And how do you imagine intervening? Uh, so right now, if you want uh, to get a diagnosis on whether you have an infection or not, then you need to go to to have your sample cultured at a hospital or at a clinic, and they send it for laboratory analysis, and that takes time before you get an answer. And sometimes you also need the bacteria to get up to up concentrated in your body before you can even see it in a culture. Uh, so what what I try to do is to make instant detection. So whenever you you suspect an infection in your lungs, for example, or in your blood, then you can give a sample, and then thirty or sixty seconds later, you get an answer on the spot. Well, how come you would be able to do it, and traditional culturing methods, you know, need a ton of bacteria to do it? What what makes this more sensitive and faster? 
I work with the completely other technology. I don't need to culture the cells first. I work on uh, on, on on detecting these molecules that are secreted by bacteria, and the sensor itself is so sensitive that it can catch those small bacteria that are secreted in a sample. And that's why I can detect it much faster because I don't detect the bacteria directly. I detect the the molecules the bacteria secrete. Well, if a bacteria infects a person, I mean, the bacteria is so tiny and the person is so big, mm -hmm. you know, even if they're secreting molecules, how would there be enough concentration as it disseminates and filters throughout the whole body to uh, to pick that up? Do you have to kind of know that, okay, this person may have a lung infection exactly. so sample so right, right, exactly. right near the lung? Exactly. It wouldn't work on any patient. It would work on patients that are immune compromised. So it's patients that we expect uh, are vulnerable uh, to to uh, to infections, and they are already followed by doctors uh, because they it's important to catch any infection upfront and treat it early. Otherwise, it can really culminate in in, for example, a chronic infection. So um, they are these patients. Are already monitor, monitored, and uh, if we can follow them early, if we, for example, suspect that they would have a lung infection, then that's that. Then we measure in the sputum of the, these patients. If there are other group of patients that uh, are in special risk of having a blood infection, then it's the blood we monitor. So it, we we try to uh, detect in the in the focus of infection that we expect. So if you're able to detect it much faster or earlier, what, what are some of the ways that you could intervene that we can't do right now? That that would be to 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 detect these molecules faster than than it's possible today because now you you need the cult, the bacteria to grow on a plate. And I I don't really rely on that. I I rely on the molecules they secrete. So you're hoping to catch them earlier in a, in a less powerful or weakened state or less numerous state so that even the current medicines out there might be more effective against them. Yes, exactly. So so I hope to catch them during this window of opportunity uh, as the hypothesis is that uh, that in a very, very early stage, it's possible to to treat them uh, with with antibiotics, with even less antibiotics. Uh, and in a stage where they could be uh, easily killed with the medicine instead of yeah waiting until they are uh, really resistant and tolerant and can't really be be uh, eradicated so what um what kind of conditions are you uh, targeting what kind of bacterial infections uh, i've been looking uh, on some specific uh, bacteria and uh, one of the bacteria i've been working a lot with is Pseudomonas aeruginosa. We're expanding to other bacteria uh, of interest for for healthcare. Oh, what what does this Pseudomonas do? What's the effect? What, what does it cause? It is uh, it is it's an opportunistic bacteria, so it uh, it is dangerous for 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 uh, people that have an immune compromised system. Uh, it it's a bacteria that is actually everywhere. It's in the environment, so it it wouldn't really affect healthy individuals. But for immune compromised patients, it's it's really risky to have this bacteria. Hmm, okay. And what does it cause? What kind of uh, disease does it cause? It just 
kills the really person depends, or what is it? It, it depends on where the infection is. If it's in the lungs, it could cause lung, uh, I mean, really, really nasty lung infections. If it's, uh, it's, yeah, if it's in the blood, it could cause sepsis. If it's, yeah, so it, it really depends on where, where the, the, the patient gets the infection. But sometimes it's even, it, it could, it's sometimes it's related to the contact lens infections for, for healthy people's, but, but, but at that point, it wouldn't be that dangerous unless it really, it, it isn't treated in time and then it can be really dangerous to the, to the site. Mm. And how do you think the, uh, you know, like our immune system interacts with, uh, you know, invading bacteria? I mean, you know, I've known of like T cells engulfing bacteria, but mm. do you think that our immune system are sensing the, um, the chemicals that are given off by bacteria, just as if they were bacteria and, you know, reading that and interpreting it and then knowing to, uh, that they're out there and they need to be attacked. Yeah. You, usually the, the body can recognize pathogenic bacteria and even the opportunistic bacteria. So that wouldn't be a problem. It's only when the, the immune system is defect that it can, for example, for the opportunistic bacteria, it can really cause damage to the human body. And that's why it's important to detect them early. Well, I mean, what's the method by which the immune system detects these bacteria? Do you think it's the same way as um, a bacteria detects another bacteria by looking at these, uh, these, you know, these chemicals that are given off by a bacteria and evaluating them? No, the, the immune system works in, uh, in, yeah, in, in, in another way than how the, the bacteria recognize each other. It's a whole science itself, but that's actually not my expertise. Well, the reason why I ask is, you know, what if you were able to create a vaccine just based on the, um, not on, you know, weakened or dead bacteria themselves, but just on the uh, the chemicals that they give off? You know, what if that was to be used as a vaccine? Would that work, do you think? Uh, I think that there is some research going on where they try to, to trick uh, the immune system to understand uh, these mo- these molecules that the bacteria secrete, but uh, I, I don't I don't know how far they are with this. It's really preliminary research. Okay, I mean, yeah, what you're studying could shed light on a lot of ancillary topics. That's why I'm asking. Sorry. Well, yeah, what what you're studying could shed light on a lot of ancillary yeah, topics and a lot of other for sure know, other yes, possibilities. Definitely. Definitely. It could open up for a whole new way of studying bacteria even, because now if we have this high throughput method uh, that I'm working on through pre-diagnose, it would allow another kind of research because right now it takes, you need an HPLC to, to, conduct, uh, to conduct thorough research where you really pre-treat all of the samples and try to, to, to go through the, the uh, the, the pre-treated samples one by one through a heavy machine, uh, but doing it very fast with with few sec within few seconds that will allow us to gain a lot of information. Okay, um, why why work with uh, immune compromised people? I mean, I would think that there are bacterial infections that overcome even healthy people's immune systems. Mm. Is yes, just, and, you think there's just yeah. less factors involved? This no, it's just to begin somewhere, um, and it's really important to do because immune-compromised patients are really in risk uh, when when they get these infections. 
So, so we started with the with the immune compromised patients, but the the vision is that we can expand it to a lot of other uh, just actually healthy individuals, and maybe not only look at pathogens, but also look at healthy bacteria and see if they could, if we can figure out a way to to describe healthy. Um, a microbiome in the human body by by looking at some some signaling molecules. Okay. Um, what about uh, phages or the body's uh, microbiome? I mean, I, I guess that complicates it. You know, I don't know how that uh, changes the interaction of an invading bacteria. It are does. you able to look at that, or is that just? No, not yet, not at all. But we are we we. We, it's still in the research and development phase, and we hope that at some point we can do that. Okay. All right. Well, very good. So what, what's the best way for um, people to learn more about your work and maybe to get in touch with you know, questions or ideas for collaboration? Um, I am active on LinkedIn and on, uh, yeah, I you can look at the website, uh, prediagnose.dk. But uh, you can reach out through LinkedIn, and I would be happy to answer questions. Okay. Well, that's great. Well, Fatima, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you, Richard. You're listening to the Future Tech Health Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Until I reached age 40, I never realized the obvious, that we all have medical issues, but we at least have a family member or close relation that had, has, or will have them in the future. Medicine and biological systems are the final frontier. Until we've conquered death, figured out how life began, cured cancer, and understood our purpose in the universe, there's a heck of a lot to talk about when it comes to our health. Future Tech Health means I'll be covering futuristic topics that are actually already in clinical trials, or even starting to appear on shelves, or by prescription, or available for your own use. We dive deep into stem cells, CRISPR-Cas9, the science of sleep, epigenetics, medical testing, cancer, ketogenic diets, stem cells, aging, regenerative medicine, and more. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a serious medical problem. Remember, however, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoy the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and share it with friends. Thank you.